And um, yeah, and he's wanting to work today, isn't he? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much. We want to thank you so much that you love us so much that you reach out to us in every moment of every day to draw us to you, to give us strength, to comfort us, to convict us when we need it, to guide us in in life in you, in all its fullness. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray that today as we look at something of your word, that you would be reaching out to every single one of us here, wanting to speak into our hearts and lives exactly what it is that we need to hear. That you would bring conviction where it's needed and comfort and hope and purpose. That it would be you reaching out to each and every person this morning as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I love hearing these stories in terms of people getting baptized and being able to, to celebrate how God's at work. And, you know, every single one of them in one way or another is a story of rescue and a story of transformation. And, and there's something in us which loves stories of rescue and transformation, isn't there? You know, there is, there is something in us which, uh, when, when we kind of hear, if we go back a slide, sorry, go back one, there's something in us which loves it when we, we see a, uh, a story in the news about it, a firefighter that kind of charges into a burning building and comes out carrying a child. Or that, you know, there is, if you look at superhero films which are just everywhere at the moment, um, you know, they're all about rescue. They're all about the superheroes sweeping in to, to save the day and to, to bring about transformation. And, and really that's at the root of so many different films and books and, and stories that are written. If you go on to the, to the next one, Alex, the, the, you, you get these things on Facebook. Anyone ever been scrolling through Facebook uh, and you're going down and down and down and you see this, this kind of video of this poor owl that is just there kind of trapped in the, in the wire and, and you end up sat there kind of watching as, as these guys come along and, and snip the wires and set the owl free and you're kind of captivated by this story of, of rescue. Well, you, you kind of come across these images of these before and after after, um, in terms of what's happened as, a, as an animal's been nurtured back to, to health. And you know, I think part of the reason that we're drawn to these stories of rescue and transformation is because it reflects something of the heart of God. It reflects something of what God's about. In fact, if you look at the story of the Bible, pretty much the whole story of the Bible is, is really the story of the greatest rescue. And to fully appreciate these kind of rescues, to, to fully appreciate uh, the, the transformation, you first have to understand or have an experience of how bad things have been, don't you? That's why we get these kind of before and, and after pictures, because if you just saw the lovely dog here or fluffy, you go, oh, that's cute, and just kind of move on. But when you see the way it was before, it grabs you in a different way, and you appreciate how radical the transformation is that's occurred. And this is exactly what Paul tries to, to kind of do for us and to, to help us with in order to get hold of the radical rescue and transformation um, that we, we have in Jesus. And then we're going to look at some verses in the book of Ephesians that he, he writes. And really he's trying to paint this kind of before and after picture for us. 
And, and this kind of story, this before and after, is, is really just summed up in, in every story that you've heard today. And, and I'm going to keep hearing today of the guys who are, who are getting baptized. It's the story of every single one of us who has accepted Jesus. But as I say, in order to appreciate the good news, you've first got to grasp the bad news. You've first got to appreciate where you've, that people have, have come from. And so that's what Paul begins with in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3. This is what he writes. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, that's not a pretty picture, is it? And Paul is saying, look, if you took a selfie of what you looked like before Jesus, this is the picture that you'd get. He he says, this not just that there was a kind of a few flaws. It's not just that you kind of could need to touch things up with a bit of Photoshop. It's not that you need to go on a a diet or an exercise plan so you've got that figure that you, you kind of really want. It's a lot more serious than that. In fact, if I was to use Paul's language to describe how I was before Jesus, apart from Jesus, I would have to say that I was dead. Now, obviously, I wasn't dead physically. I was very much kind of alive and and kicking in the natural kind of sense of things. But spiritually, I was dead. And what does that mean? How can you be dead spiritually? And it means that I was dead or numb to the things of God. I had no relationship with God, no connection with the source of all life. I was dead in my transgressions and sins, in the wrong things that I'd said or done, in the wrong thoughts that I'd had, ultimately in the wrong attitudes of my heart, It left me dead and numb to God. And if that's not bad enough, I was stuck in that place. There was nothing that I could do about it. I couldn't do anything to kind of bring myself back to to life. To start living God's way. Because number two, if we unpack what Paul talks about, he says that we were enslaved. Without Jesus, it doesn't matter how much we try to do the right thing, how much we try to, to, to live in a godly way, we are constantly pulled back again and again and again to simply being selfish. We're driven by our own wants and our own desires. And, and that shows itself in obvious ways. We can pick at that and say, oh, they're selfish people in those kind of ways. But you know, it, it shows itself even in the things that we look at that we'd say that was a good thing to do. Because apart from Jesus, what drives us, what, what pushes us to do those things is actually still all about us. It's about us. Being, when I do that, it makes me feel better about myself. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel fulfilled. I feel satisfied. When I do that, it, it builds up my reputation and people think well of me. They speak well of me. 
And it all just comes back to selfishness. And the nail in the coffin to make matters worse, to make sure that we can never escape, that we're completely stuck, we're completely enslaved, is that not only are we enslaved to our own desires, but Paul writes that we are enslaved and we are stuck because of the values and the messages of culture. And we're enslaved and we are stuck because of the very real influence of evil in this world. We're all in need of Jesus. Of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives to bring about rescue and transformation from the inside out. And that transformation may be more or less dramatic in different people. We may see here dramatic stories of transformation as as people go from a, a situation where they've been stuck in addictions and they've been thieves and they've been in prison and they've done this and they've done that. But Paul is saying that every single one of us, no matter how polite or nice, no matter how socially acceptable, no matter how well educated or how good their job is or how much they've given away to charity, if on the if they are outside of Christ, if they are not in Jesus, then they are spiritually dead. Cut off from God. Enslaved And then as a result, he goes on, he says, they are spiritually condemned. Without Jesus, that is the condition that each and every one of us are in. We're guilty. And and as much as we might feel like, well, actually, you know what? If I look at them and I look at them, I'm a pretty good person. How dare you say I'm, I'm guilty? Look at my life and the things that I've done compared to everyone else. But if we're honest, if the deepest thoughts of our hearts and our minds, the things that we think about in the hidden place, the attitudes that we hold onto were displayed on this screen behind me, I don't think a single one of us would want to be in this room, would we? We would feel embarrassed and we would feel ashamed. I know that I would. Every single one of us is guilty. And without Jesus, we stand condemned. And this is the selfie of what we look like before Jesus. That's the selfie that Paul paints for us. And it's not a pretty picture But he wants us to get hold of it so that we understand how desperate our situation was or how desperate our situation is. He wants us to get hold of it so that we understand how deep our need is for rescue in Jesus. He wants us to get hold of it because it's only when we understand what we are without Jesus that we fully appreciate what we have in Jesus. And that our hearts are stirred in praise and thanks and we rejoice in him. So, shall we move on to some good news? 
I find with any story of rescue or transformation, you know, it starts off with this kind of horrible picture of how bad everything is, and then eventually it comes to this pivotal moment when you come across two words. But then. But then the firefighter came in and rescued the child. But then the superhero swept in and saved the day. And Paul has this pivotal moment. He's painted this picture, all of this bad news. And he has this pivotal moment where he says these two words. He says, but God. This is how bad everything was. This is how terrible our situation was. But God intervened. And this is what Paul writes, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul gives us a brilliant before and after picture so that we can see how amazing the rescue is, so that we can see the amazing transformation that takes place in Jesus. And normally, if you want to bring about transformation in your life in a different area, in a different way, it comes down to things like diet and exercise plans or, or training courses for your career. And, and essentially, it all comes down to our own effort, something that we do and apply ourselves to. But Paul makes it clear that when it comes to our spiritual transformation and our spiritual rescue, our own effort is not going to cut it. A dead man can't save themselves. We have no hope in ourselves. Our hope is in those two words. But God. But God saw our condition. He saw our need. And in his amazing love for us, he did something about it. He loved us too much to leave us where we were. We are entirely reliant on God. That's why Paul writes that it's by grace. It's by the kindness and the love and the mercy of God that you have been saved. As God put his love into action for you. Not by anything that you have done, not by anything that you can do. And we talk about this as amazing news, but you know, I think it's sometimes the hardest news as well. Because generally in life, there is something in us that reacts at the idea of being a charity case. You just hear those words, and something internally in you goes, that's not me. It 
Some, we don't like to see ourselves as in need of charity. But you know, you are the ultimate charity case. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote a, um, a short story called The Great Divorce. Um, and in it, he, part of it, he, he writes about this man who lived a good life, and um, he was a, a decent kind of human being, but he finds himself in hell. And then bizarrely, I'm not going to try and understand why this is the case, but bizarrely in, in Lewis's story, he gets a day pass to visit heaven. And he arrives in heaven, and his tour guide is someone that he knew on earth. And they were a murderer. And the man loses it. He doesn't get it. He's like, I lived a good life. I was a good person. I gave money away. I was a decent person. And I'm in hell. And yet you, you from my hometown, you were a murderer and you're in heaven. How did you get in here? And the murderer said, everything in here is for the asking. Nothing can be purchased. Nothing can be earned. But everything in here is for the asking. To which the proud resident of hell says, you'll never find me asking for any bleeding charity. And the resident of heaven replies, that's it. Everyone here asked for bleeding charity. There is nothing that you can do that will ever make you right before God. Or ever earn you a place in heaven. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made a way for us to be right with him. Made a way for us to have an eternity to look forward to in heaven. And he said, it's my gift to you. It's yours for the asking. Do you know that you are the ultimate charity case? Can you own that identity? And have you asked for bleeding charity? And the moment that we do, it's the moment that we're rescued. It's the moment when everything changes. It's the moment when that transformation takes place and we move from being in that before selfie to the after selfie. It's the moment when that dead man is made alive in Jesus. It's the moment when we're no longer slaves to sin and living for ourselves, but we're set free and we're given the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God. It's the moment when we're no longer under condemnation, but we're forgiven and we're made right before God. And God looks at us and he says, you are perfect. You are holy. You are blameless. Because you accepted my bleeding charity. And it changes everything. Paul goes on and he says, this is the moment when we're given a new position. 
of being seated with Jesus in heaven. In a place of victory and authority. Far above all of the principalities and and powers. Far above all of the battles and the struggles of life. He wants us to know that we can now approach the things that we battle with from a different perspective. From a different starting point. When we approach a battle, when we approach something that we previously struggled with, in our mind we don't have to approach it from a place of defeat, thinking I've always lost that battle before. We don't have to approach it from a place of uncertainty, wondering if I can make it through this battle or not. But we can approach every battle and every struggle from a place of victory. Knowing that Jesus has already won the victory, and the place that we start the battle from is that we're sat with him in heaven in that place of victory and when we start to get hold of this it changes the way we see ourselves it changes the way we see life in all of its ups and downs and we start to experience this life in color that that paul's been painting a picture for us right through this letter this is why i love hearing stories of people who've gone from being dead men walking to alive in Jesus. This is why we love to, to celebrate baptisms and how God's at work in our lives, how he works to rescue and to transform. So I'm going to ask um, Roger and Dennis to, to come on up, and, and they're just going to share their stories um, with us um, as to, to how God's been at work in their lives. It'd be brilliant. Thank you, Pete. Um, my name's Roger. I'm one of many here. I just sort of sat there this morning, just before the service began, and was trying to work out in my mind what I wanted to say about why I came to this point. And God must have heard me, because what he's, he's just blown everything out of my mind I was thinking about with Pete's sermon, because I was that man. You know, most of my life, I had money, or fair bet, not a lot, but enough. And I lived my life pretty much for me, going out, doing what I wanted to do, playing sports, drinking. I, I never really married. Um, got made redundant, because I was in the printing industry. Got made redundant when I was 50, was I 49? Yeah, 49. And that was just the slope down. Then I lost everything. Then a few years later... I met my lovely wife, Yvonne. And she's a Christian. She's been a Christian for many years. And I was brought up in a house where, um, the sort of house where if you're filling out a form, you write Church of England. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you don't, you're not a Christian. You think you are, but you, you write Church of England. So the only experience I really had at church was, was a young boy. It was when I went to Sunday school. And I went to Sunday school. And I'll be honest, I went to Sunday school because they did some terrific trips out. But you had to go to Sunday school to go on the trip. So that was my experience. But anyway, coming back to when I met Yvonne, I saw the way that God worked through her and the things that he'd done for her already and the things that through her he started to do for me as well. And we've been married now for 10 years. And I'm debt free through her help and with God's help. Um, I've got a wonderful wife, a lovely life. We've got a nice house. We're very happy. We love St. Austell. 
And I've come to be baptised today because I want to be saved. I look out here at the sea of faces and everybody here and people that we've come to know here and come to love. And I want what you've got. Thanks. Uh, to you that don't know me, I'm called Dennis Collett. Um, I too went to Sunday school as a young boy. Um, we gradually faded out. I was one of all right, one of four, and we gradually faded out. And then I've been um, going through life as I do. Um, about forty years ago, I got married. And the wife and her parents were Christians, and they prayed for me to be a Christian. And I've got a little story in a minute to tell you how that happened. But um, I've been semi-retired for five years. Um, I worked part-time for Niles Bakery. I also used to do uh, posting of parcels to people, where I found after I got saved, I could talk to these people, and spend time with them, even though it made me late for me parcel round. But I could speak to them and understand what they was telling me. So a little bit more here, I'll look at me notes. Uh, so I said, I work for Noyles. I'm a van driver for them part-time. I live at Bethel with my wife and my son. My wife, as I said, prayed and her parents prayed for me for 40-odd years. I was standing outside a shop in Truro one day. Uh, like I do when I go shopping with a wife, I stand outside. <laughs> so I was standing there and this man came across the road. He said, can I pray for you? I said, yes. So he prayed for me and then he... <clears throat> oh, no, we'll get there. He asked me if I would repeat a prayer with him and commit myself to being saved. And I said, yes. Out of nowhere. He just walked across the street. He told me he was called Russell. And my father-in-law was called Russell. Don't know if that struck a chord. But I've been saved ever since. And that was November the 16th, 2017. I now found that with doing this uh, postal job that I'm more patient and I could stop and talk to people and try to help them if they got a problem. So, uh, got one more thing there. I um, spoke to Russell afterwards and he told me it was his first time evangelizing and he prayed to God, put somebody in my path so I can speak to him. And pray for them. And that's what happened. Uh, Russell couldn't uh, be here today because he had a prior commitment. But I did ask him to come. So I want to follow God now. Like my wife does. Charmaine back there sitting down. The one that always wears a berry. (laughs) So uh, that's it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, guys.
great to hear these stories, really is. Um, and you know, I said at the beginning um, of my message that we all love a good rescue story. Um, and a great rescue story, one of the greatest rescues in history is the story of Dunkirk in the early 1940. I don't know how many of you know the story of Dunkirk, but there were over uh, 330,000 British and Allied troops um, who had been forced back to uh, the beach of Dunkirk, a small town in France. And um, they had nowhere else to go. That's the end of the line. It's just the sea. And I'm not sure they were quite up for swimming the channel. So um, they, were, they were stuck there, and their expectation was that it just seemed like their destruction was inevitable. It was a matter of time. But then... Those words of, of hope. Uh, the British managed to, to send across a fleet of, um, of, of boats. And they sent them across the channel, even though it was incredibly dangerous. Um, they managed to get them across the, the channel and across the... Uh, I think it was about nine days. Um, after about nine days, they had rescued a total of 338,226 soldiers from the beach at Dunkirk. It's just astounding. An amazing rescue story. But what I find incredibly interesting is the way that Winston Churchill then spoke about it in the Commons um, the day later. He said, You must be very careful not to assign to this deliverance the attributes of a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations. In other words, this was a great rescue, but there was still a war to fight. Churchill was reminding the people of Britain that they had rescued their troops for a purpose, in order to continue to fight the war. In order that they might see victory. And you know, Jesus achieved an even greater rescue than the rescue of Dunkirk. And we want to celebrate that, and we want to rejoice in that, and we want to praise him for that. But Paul here reminds us as followers of Jesus that we have been rescued for a purpose. That we are God's handiwork, that we have been made new, that we are new creations for a purpose in order to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And you see, if we don't get this, then we are left with a before selfie, which looks pretty terrible, an after selfie, which is absolutely amazing, but then a great big question of what on earth do I do for the rest of the years that I'm stuck down here? But while we are here on this earth, and while there is nothing that we can do to to be right before God or to, to earn our place in heaven, while there is no work for us to do in that kind of a way, while we are stuck on this earth, once we have been made right with God, once we have a kind of assurance of our place in heaven, God then has amazing good works prepared in advance for us to do. He has a great purpose for each and every one of us. And the purpose that he has for us, Paul writes about, and he says the big purpose that we have is that we might put something of who God is on display. 
He uses better language than that. He says that we might put on display the incomparable riches of his grace. That we might show something of who God is through our lives. Whatever it is that we're doing. In the same way that God saw our need and he acted to reach out in care and love for us when we see others' needs, to act and to reach out in care and love for them. That's why we love the food bank. That when we see people's needs, that we would want to share with them what we have to to meet them, that we would want to share about Jesus with them. That we would see people come to have a relationship with God and we would see people also be able to meet immediate physical needs that, that people have. And this is something that God has. This is a purpose that God has for every single one of us. No matter what it is that we, we, we kind of work at or do in life, it's a purpose that he has for every single one of us. He's prepared good works in advance for us to do. He's prepared good works for advance for us to do as accountants and landscape gardeners and as retired people and as teachers, as mums and dads, as children in school. You list off whatever your kind of life occupation is and in the midst of where you are and what you're doing, God has good works for you. And so I want to encourage not only the guys who are getting baptized today, but I want to encourage every single one of us who, who has accepted Jesus, every single one of us who knows that after selfie and the hope of heaven, to ask God this morning, what are the good works that you have for me in this season? Not what he has for you in five years' time or ten years' time, because so often I find when we ask God, God, what is it that you have for me to be doing What we're really asking for is this great big dream of where we're going. And that's good and that's important, but God has good works prepared in advance for us to do in the here and now, in our current season of life. How can you make your work an act of worship? How can you put something of God on display in your workplace or with your family or in school? How can you invite Jesus into your everyday activity so it all becomes about him and with him and for him? And we do that not so that God would love us more or because he's already shown us the greatest love. By reaching out to meet our greatest need, even though it cost him the greatest sacrifice. Setting us free, making us alive in Jesus, seating us in that place of victory. And so he gives us a purpose from that place, not in order to get to that place. So I want to encourage you to be asking God, what Good works do you have for me to be doing in this season of life? And it will look different for every single one of us. This isn't about needing to suddenly give up your job and go off and be a missionary. This is about in the here and now where God has placed you. How can you be putting him on display? How can you be reaching out to care for people around you 
and show something of God's love and his heart in the way that he wants to be a person who rescues and transforms. How can you be pointing people to to Jesus and inviting Jesus into everything that you're doing? And I can't give you an answer to that. Only God can give you an answer to that. But ask him the question. Because he has good works prepared in advance for you to do. And if you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus and you're still in that place of the before selfie, then this morning is a great opportunity to change that. It is a free gift of God and it is yours for the asking. For you to invite Jesus into your life. And it's tough saying, yeah, I'm a charity case. But as we do that, we experience his amazing rescue. We're made alive in Jesus. We're transformed. We're set free. We're given hope. We're given purpose. And it's the best decision that you can ever make. And if that's something that you want to do, or that's something that you've got questions about and you want to find out more about, then either come and grab me afterwards or we'll have some guys here at the front who would love to chat with you and to pray for you and just to talk more about what that means. So please don't leave here if that's you um, without making the most of that opportunity. Right now, though, we have so much to celebrate. As we've heard all these stories of God at work, as we've reminded ourselves of how God's been at work in our own lives, of how he's done that transformation work in us, of where we were before Jesus and where we are now after him and the purpose we have in him. So why don't we take some time? We're just going to finish and we're going to praise with one more song. So if Pete and the band could come on up, um, I just pray, and then we're going to take some time to worship him. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that everything that we've been talking about is possible because of you. We want to thank you that it's nothing to do with us, but we can cling on to those words. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, sent his one and only son to die in our place. That we might be forgiven. That we might be made alive that we might be set free, that we might have hope not only now but for eternity, that we might have a purpose in this life that makes it meaningful beyond just living for ourselves. And so Jesus, we want to praise you and we want to thank you and we want to give you all the glory and we just pray, God, that you would come and you would refresh our hearts and our minds with the amazing transforming work that you've done, that we'd never lose sight of it or take it for granted, that you would help us to stay in that place of humility of knowing that we're charity cases that need you, and without you we're nothing. And that you would reveal to each and every one of us the purpose you have for us in this season of life, the good works prepared in advance that you have for us to be doing. That we might put something of you on display here in St. Austell, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. And that you might be made much of. In Jesus' name. Amen.